Hello, doobie listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Undercard. With me, your host, William Maine. The Undercard, of course, is um, the doobie's resident show for all things sports entertainment and pro wrestling related. Sorry about that. And um, kind of was going to start off with some really, really sad news, actually, because um, earlier this morning they revealed that uh, John Huber, or aka Brody Lee, aka um, Luke Harper, had passed away this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, I don't know how you couldn't in the wrestling community. It's been pretty much the only thing talked about right now. Brody Lee was a was a professional wrestler who got a start kind of around in CZW. He got uh, Ring of Honor, Chikara. He's a longtime veteran of the industry. He was 41. He died of of um, lung lung issues. They don't haven't revealed exactly what the issue was, but it was it was revealed that he had some kind of lung issues, non COVID related, mind you. But still, it had been something that they talked about according to the wrestling um, wrestling news. That's been something that they've they've known about for a while, and he he's just kind of let it get he let it get worse, and it just eventually turned into this until this moment we passed away. Brody Lee was. There was a lot to unpack with Brody Lee. He was in a time and an era of big men still when he he was um sorry, I'm if I'm a little emotional because I'm gonna be just be very honest and with my my stuff. Brody Lee was one of my favorites. Brody Lee has was one of the people that got me into professional wrestling. He was one of uh, the first people I ever played as in WWE 2K15, that which was the first real wrestling thing I ever was involved with. Probably in that pro wrestling game was the first really big step for me into into professional wrestling and playing as Luke Harper in a steel cage match was the, one of the first matches I had in the game and. I just see this, you know, this big hulking, scary-looking Bayou guy that I'm just like, oh, he looks kind of fun. And yeah, it was. I lost immediately, of course, because I had no idea how to play the game. But he just, I was instantly attracted to this character, this look, and then I eventually became interested in the Wyatt family with mankind. Also, kind of getting into that, um, all those kind of spookier gimmicks. Like as I said, with mankind, I got more interested with him afterwards same but he was like one of the first people that got me into professional wrestling as luke harper and the wyatt family one of the first wrestling segments i had ever watched was uh, bray wyatt's announcing uh, um announcing the survivor series match against kane and undertaker with luke harper Strowman and in the ring and then bray was one of the first was uh bray wyatt was one of the first wrestlers i read fully had fallen in love with he was one of the first wrestlers i've ever really enjoyed and i really give credit to Brody lee having been the one that kind of introduced me to him because of just my interest from him in that one game but this loss is this loss is immeasurable Brody lee again was a, a huge veteran of industry only at 41 years he's been he was active for 17 he's a 17 year veteran getting a start in 2003 and as i said he's worked in chikara he's worked in dragon gate ring of honor he's done just about everything he joined in 2012 to wwe of course working in fcw territories for a little bit before being before being recast as bray wyatt's first son during an episode of nxt way back in the early days of nxt and eventually getting his kind of um getting a push with the family getting the nxt tag team champions becoming nxt tag team champions with eric rowan and competing against bo dallas several times in their feud pack reportedly being the only person to have ever kicked out of uh packs a black arrow from an episode of nxt that's what people claim at least which would be a huge accomplishment as is but regardless then before being called up with the rest of the white family to uh fight kane and take over, try to beat him up and abducting kane and of course the story of the white family is a tragic one we all know that they were split apart way too early they went their separate ways Brody lee or luke harper at this point went on to be known as 
uh, as a singles competitor for a while, working with um, he rejoined with Luke Harper, uh, rejoined with Eric Rowan for a bit as a tag team that never, that they had a good feud with the Usos before kind of falling to the wayside. Then they split again. He he went on to win the Intercontinental Champion when he aligned himself with the Authority, lost that to Dolph Ziggler, then would go on to re- realign with Bray Wyatt, their whole on and off relationship, helping him again at, um, I believe it was payback wwe payback when bray wyatt defeated roman reigns and he'd continue with him for until getting injured a few times getting injured again and then helping him out with this feud with randy orton joining him up joining up with him with a pretty fun feud with randy orton some having some a good match with kane and i know i'm skipping over a lot those but it's just it's kind of just a testament to the man having that he's just had this long storied career. His a lot of the stuff he's done. He's had great feuds in CZW where he fought the John Moxley. He's it's just, there's just so much to describe with him that he is in a, in a time when, um, when big man wrestlers were seen as lumbering and very stiff and, you know, kind of idea was that they would play these kind of monster roles. They were meant to toss people around and stay on the ground, be forced to the mat Luke Harper Brody Lee was just this he was something else he could fly around the ring like no one's like some of the best cruiserweights like no one's business he could fly around he could do suicide dives he could do uh atomicos he could do a hurricane rana for god's sakes he's six foot five and 200 over well over 200 pounds and it was insane he was a marvel to watch and Luke obviously was unhappy with his current role after the, the Bludgeon Brothers didn't really go anywhere. He, he, of course, joined up with Eric Rowan as Bludgeon Brothers for a while, winning the, winning the SmackDown Championship before kind of getting seeded away to the, to remain out his contract with an injury for getting released and joining AEW as Mr. Brody Lee as the exalted one for the Dark Order, where it really finally felt as though Brody Lee was going to get his chance to shine as the leader of the Dark Order. He was. I've criticized the the um the the Mr. Brody Lee character before. I have. I will admit this. I have. I have expressed my d- dislike for the shots taken at WWE for it. I will express. I, will, I stand by those. But if you for a minute think that I was criticizing Brody Lee as a person or as a performer because of it. No, it, it had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with, with this man's talent and the surefire legend he would become had he, in my mind, when he was going to go on a little bit longer and have this really good, prosperous career for at least just nine more years. He was only 41, too, and he could still just do all these incredible things in the ring. He was still amazing. He won the TNT Championship in a great match with Cody before losing it in his final match in a dog collar match against Cody Rhodes. And it's, it's just, it's, it's just shocking. It's, it, it's just beyond shocking that this happened to him. He seemed he'd left after that match in the dog collar match a few months ago, and then was sidelined. What was initially believed to have been something along the lines of a undisclosed injury. Some people speculate it was a, it was an ankle injury, but as it turns out, that was not the case. Obviously, but yeah, it's I I, I words I, I don't think my words are enough to express my 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 love of Brody Lee as a performer. Some of his matches, he's honestly he's honestly one of the, he's honestly one of the best one of the best independent wrestlers of all time. He's up there with Chris Hero with Claudio, one of the best. Um, just honestly, one of the best independent wrestlers of all time. I know his WWE run was disappointing. There's no getting around that and. The forget the miss potential, not the miss potential, just what could have been with AEW was is unparalleled with how all the potential in the world he had. The the glass ceiling ceiling was beyond high with him, and it's it's truly a shame. It, it it's it's really really a shame that this had to happen. Honest to God, twenty twenty is just awful. This this year has just been terrible. Had to end with this. God just. So I just, yeah, that's my my little eulogy for Brody Lee. Massive respects to this guy. Again, I, I, I've i seen some people try to talk about what they think is going to happen in Dark Order from here on out. I don't know if I really, if it's, if it's appropriate to really speculate at this time. 
because of course this was no one was expecting this but what we can think of is evil uno will probably take over afterwards but again i really don't want to get into speculation about that because that's not the time right now to express with in the wake of his death i don't think it's it's fair to really expect a lot from what what this group's going to be going forward with forward because Brody Lee literally rejuvenated this this group's momentum and their purpose just by his mere presence and his debut, and it's a shame. Again, it's it's just a shame all in all. So I uh, just had two other segments for this week. Didn't really have any other news. I wanted to talk about uh, my thoughts on TL my my TLC my thoughts on my my yeah my thoughts on TLC this. And uh, I wanted—I was going to initially do my my top five least favorite wrestlers of 2020, but in the again in the week of this, I kind of just want some more positivity, so I'll do my top five favorite of this year of 2020. So, just going to um, WWE's pay per view that I did last uh, last week. Of course, I did a live reactions. <laughs> Not very good, all in all. I am massively disappointed with my performance there. I could have done, but our problem was, you know, when you try to commentate as a fan versus a actual commentator, you of course don't react to it the same way as a commentator would. You react to it as a fan. You react to it as this kind of, you know, what's happening. You know the bumps that are going to be taken. You know what's going to, you know, you understand the kind of bumps that are going to be taken. You understand the like how they're blocking it. You and you, you, you're you're reacting with the kind of like the selling is. You're reacting with the storyline plot. You're not reacting in kayfabe. So I'll keep that in mind next time. I'll try to be less of a common. Maybe I'll try to be less of a mark and more of a mark, less of a smart. I should say. When I if I do, if I do it next time again, I don't know. Considering how bad I feel like that segment went. So either way, TLC. Uh, very, very, very good night overall. I'd say this is a very, very solid pay per view from WWE. Uh, I didn't talk about Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens in their tables, ladders, and chairs match. That was followed up, of course, by a steel cage match a few nights ago. This has been great. I, I honestly really like this feud. Kevin Owens' transformation from on the SmackDown as this kind of, oh, excuse me, sorry, as this tweener kind of face. He, who's kind of just he's not really anti-establishment but he's just more kind of anti-authority in this kind of, and this need to prove himself as a fighting champ as a fighter i think has been a really good character rejuvenation for him and i think he really always has found his best on smackdown kevin owens has <clears throat> pardon me there for a second and yeah this feud has been great with of course roman reigns playing off kevin owens very well kevin owens being the kind of scrapper he is and roman as the dignified head of the table that he is as well good character collection mashing there and yeah roman reigns of course won after retrieving the wwe universal title but yeah i i again a really really good match all in all he uh loved of course one of the best spots is when Ryan went for a spear and he did the pop-up powerbomb into the table. But Jay Uso, of course, trying to make his earn his keep, kept on trying to stop Owens. He intercepted him on the ladders again, keeping distracting him. And then Reigns got back on, low blowed him, got the guillotine and choked him out to let him fall off the ladder. That guillotine, I really didn't buy the guillotine as a good finisher for Roman Reigns. At first, you know, because he's a he's a big guy. He's you expect with a big guy, like a bump finisher of some kind. You expect something or like a really massive strike, like the spear. But it's clear that they made the spear more of his secondary, his like finisher signature, like a move that can put away the lower level guys. And yeah, it's like it can still consistently pull out a good pop or main eventers. They do that all the time in New Japan, having like a move that doesn't always put someone away, but it kind of will sometimes but it can put away lower guys like um naito ha, not naito um uh, tanahashi has the sling blade that he's put away some young lions with shingo takagi has put away people with the pumping bomber um, on several occasions uh, osprey can still put away some younger lower level talents with the with the os cutter versus the Stormbreaker. so i i'd like i i'm fine with that and 
he he hits it. He plays it really well. He plays the the guillotine choke pretty well, and I I honestly think there's there is something nice about it with the character of like he wants people to respect him, bow to him, and to see him just literally choking the life out of people to really see him wrench it in and kind of force them to bow and bend to him is actually genius character work in a way. But great match all in all, really really good match all in all. And then we have the. Well, the main event was um, reportedly this wasn't initially the main event for the week, but after the reactions from Law Law Raw's lowest rated episode of all time and the kind of increased pressure of getting on some more adult content, supposedly there's been report conflicting reports saying now that USA didn't want the um, the kind of more adult content, but there's a ton of speculation behind it. Either way, this was. I didn't mind it. I've I've admitted Bray Wyatt is my favorite is my favorite wrestler. He is like one of my, fa- my one of my favorite current wrestlers. He is he was the wrestler that got one of the wrestlers that got me the Wyatt family got me into wrestling and I forever respect Bray for that. And I've been I've admitted to being sometimes of a Bray Wyatt apologist. But all in all, this was this this was I I still didn't think genuinely this was all right. I, I think genuinely this was an all right match for the kind of the way Orton can be when it comes to matches, he can be very hit and miss. It depends. It's all on his opponents. If he does, if if he finds like no one cares, he will instead of try to fight back. He will not care either. And why also needs like a good good agile person to kind of help him bump with. But he's a very very solid uh, ring psychologist. Obviously, from some of the matches, like when we seen with Daniel Bryan and what we seen with Seth Rollins, Finn Balor. He's proven that he can't. He's very capable of putting on a good match, but when you get a character like the Fiend, that's so supernatural and and um, spookified, it, it it inherently will cause problems with like your structure and how you and like what you're going to do, especially with his Mister Rogers character. He it's been a lot more angles than matches. That's been the issue with Lawbury Wild. Like we've seen that with. With the Miz, with his match there, we saw that with his match against Braun Strowman. Like, I don't want to say these were bad matches. Like, zero stars. Come on, that's not that's absurd. But it's it's clear they were more angles than matches. They just they were more about promoting a character, which which would be good for TV, but for a pay per view is not. And that that's of course been one of the issues with WWE in the COVID era for whatever reason is this lack of wanting to really impress. They've really been. It's been clear for it was clear for a while that they weren't feeling this need to not push themselves to keep every. So sometimes these pay per views felt like shows with some things just ending very nonplus and very ho hummedly, where it's like, oh yeah, double count up, okay, and then we'll continue this to the next night. It's like no pay per views need to have definitive ends. We want definitive ends from pay per views. And I just think the lack of crowd has really been like they think this is an opportunity to get them like give them a kind of a free pass to do this kind of stuff again which we don't really want no one really wants to see that but yeah um beyond that i think this one was fine overall i i, I liked it and it the ending again moving back to the supposed reports of how usa wanted the initial reports that usa wanted a better like a more adult product randy orton uh lit bray white on fire or the fiend on fire by put when they ran through when he applied when Bray Wyatt applied the the mandible claw onto Randy Orton and they kind of got pushed out. The fiend caught on fire his jacket, and as he ran, he got hit with an RKO, and then suddenly everything. There's no real bell, so we didn't really know if it's reported. It says on the Wikipedia that Bray Wyatt lost, so we can assume that it was because he was lit on fire, which is weird since that's not usually how infernal matches end. Whatever. Then, as he was laying on the ground, Orton kind of doused him with some gasoline. Suddenly, he lit a match and burned him. He burned him. He burned the fiend, very much reminiscing of how the fiend, kind of the buildup around the idea that Orton burned down the white compound. And yeah, it's yeah, that was something. I was not expecting that to be the final image of that pay per view or any WWE pay per view, honestly, even with the fiend. Solid night, all in all. I, I'd say the match of the night was 
Sasha Banks versus Carmella really surprised me. I, I really, I watched the bag again, even for 12 minutes worth. It was still really good. Even I was impressed by Carmella. I was very, I know I was kind of skeptical on my, when I was doing my live reaction, but watching it back. Yeah, it was, it was really good all in all. Definitely match of the night though. Um, I'd say, I'd say Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens, uh, McIntyre, AJ and Miz, since he cashed in was fine. And it, it, it was dumb that they had Miz cash in like that didn't really help his character but it was good it, i i think i think it was very enjoyable and kind of brutal affair none of them were really bad that's my i think i mean the pre-show obviously but none of these matches were really ostensibly bad that's my that's my thing is with a lot of these matches they've been they're all right a lot of them have just been all right there's nothing horrible they're just average but this was still a very solid pay-per-view no real bad matches there were three standout ones we had roman reigns kevin owens mcintyre versus styles and sasha banks and carmella and again i thought the ending was really interesting and intense it was a good shake-up and made people want to watch monday night raw what what they showed was that there was the increase in ratings of course from that night so job well done now after that then there was uh, the whole reveal that uh the Bray posted a video, not a video, an image of a cocoon showing that he's like, thank you. And so it's obvious that there's going to be some kind of rebirth to the character again. Bray Wyatt's great. Br- Bray Wyatt is great at reinvention and characters. So we'll see what happens with, with what's going to, with this new angle. We don't, is this like a new step towards the eater of worlds Bray Wyatt again? Is this going to be something completely different? We don't know. And I'm honestly really, really excited to see it. So, I'd like to point out also Bray Wyatt's um, tribute to Brody Lee when he po- he posted a video, uh, not a video, a comment on online when he was when he was um well after the death after Brody Lee's death was announced and it was on Instagram I believe and it was it's honestly just touching because he's saying how he was you know you were my best friend you were my brother my partner my Terry Gordon because we did everything and we did everything our way. We changed the game because of that. And he was like, I'm this really feels different when he says that this isn't how it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be us fat and bald and useless running Wyatt family spots in high school gyms in our seventies. And he's like, where do we go now? Like that just means so much like to hear, like we know we criticize that, but we know like there's that nostalgia to see those kind of guys in their seventies doing that kind of stuff, running those old spots we all feel it, and I know that even the most cynical of us, like you draw, like oh, like taking away the the spotlight from the younger talents, enjoy sometimes seeing these kind of things, like when these kind of old legends pop up in these indie promotions. Okay, it's different when it's in WWE, but his point was still to see them at these kind of old running these old spots and getting those pops from the crowds. They're just happy to see them. It just hits different. It hits different when you know how much like you get respect for doing that like, you feel the love that people still have that appreciation to know that you've done things right that even when you're useless and fat people will still it's <laughs> useless and fat sorry when you're as braid says when you're useless fat and bald and you're running around doing those old spots and people are still cheering you that you've done something right that kind of feeling mm-hmm. and wrestling fans know that above all else that we've seen that many times and can still appreciate every now and then when it's not too harmful of course but then he also kind of ends with a, with a little joke saying that how he'll put over his son in dark matches when he's old enough, just like I promised. That's just, that's awesome. Just touching. And it's clear that these two just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it, it was amazing. Brought a tear to my eye when I first read it. Beyond touching. So I swear, I swear I'm going to try not to, try not to um, talk too much about Bradley's death. So one thing I also um, on some more lighter news before I move on to move on to my top five wrestlers of 2020 WWE has confirmed that for a raw legends night Carlito will be returning the famous apple eating apple or apple chomping since you only ever been apple to spin to people who are not cool's face would be, is going to be his coming back along with um Tori Wilson, Kurt Angle, Big Show, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, Hillbilly Jim, Mark Henry, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Tatanka, Jeff Jarrett, Lisa Fox, Candice, Michelle, The Boogeyman, IRS, and Melina will all be returning for uh, the January 4th WWE Raw Legends. So, yeah, kind of excited to see that. These Raw episodes always can pop a crowd. It's, it's 
it's a little bit of a shame that this is like this is what's happening because it, again we know at least that they want to boost their ratings and it's not a good sign that WWE is when they hear that this is like this is their panic button this is like this is their response to ratings they're like oh we gotta bring back all the legends we gotta boop hit the button big legends night it's like no that's not what you need you need to raw is boring raw needs some more excitement you need to build angles we don't pops are good these kind of legends pops they're fine we enjoy, we can enjoy them but when you do it too much not only does it lose the value but then it shows you're incapable of creating the new stars on your show you don't have a care for these stars on your show and that's your just like you got nothing like you just got no new ideas or how you're actually going to improve when you do this i mean if this is like just a placeholder and that like next week oh this is going to be the start and after this that's fine like we don't know what the future is and i'm not going to act as though i can predict everything's going to happen in the future but again if this is like the if this is going to be wwe's panic response to every every mention of a instant instant that of, of low rating it's just not a good sign it's just not not a good foreboding of what wwe is going to be going through at least raw smackdown has been fine they've been pulling in good ratings all in all and nxt of course is still probably one of the best shows on television AEW. i'll get into that some other time my thoughts on like pros and cons versus AEW and w and nxt I'll get into that some other time. I think they, like I said, I believe they both had their pros and cons, but I'm not going to do an AEW versus NXT thing for this time. Not after what's happened with Brody Lee. Either way, here's my going to go and down to my top 20 list. Uh, not my top 20 list. My top five wrestlers of 2020. So what I've just done this is based on. Excuse me. This isn't like PWI Insider where it's like I have these criteria. These are just. I mean, like based off of kind of like wins and losses or anything technical like that. It's just who I believe has made a huge impact this year, who I believe has, whose stock has risen the most, and who I believe has had some of the best matches, who's maybe reinvented themselves in new ways, kind of their their presence. And all in all, just I think who's probably had a really, really good year in the long run. So yeah, here's my top, he'll be my top five. Number five, okay, I know some people are going to be mad at me for putting in this low, but I'm going with MJF for number five. I mean, I've, I've, I know I've criticized MJF in the past, and I've admitted that I'm not a huge fan of MJF, but I really want to keep this as objective as possible. So, um, yeah, MJF, he's breakout year. Just I'm, I'm, He's had a breakout year all in all. He's gotten a lot of attention. He's won a ton of his matches have been... His his feud with um Moxley was good. It was really good actually. The more I rewatched it again, I was like, yeah, no, this is better the second time around. And um, the stuff he's been doing with Chris Jericho well, again, I don't think it's been great. I still have to admit that any guy that can get like the attention of the New York Post for like a segment like the Debonair Debonair segment deserves some credit on this list to be least in talks of top 10 for the year a lot of people give this spot to chris jericho okay maxwell has at least had good matches and has at least been consistently entertaining okay to people he's been consistently entertaining for the majority of people again not me but even then jericho's match work just hasn't been that great all in all i just think he's really he's slowed down a bit i don't think he's been as funny as he had this been 2019 when we were talking more about when he became the champion yeah then i would say like he could have been in the top like top five but i just i think maxwell has really been carrying most of this feud a bit better i think he's really he's done a lot more and the stuff with the ring obviously has been really solid his work with wardlow it's it's been a great year for him and i definitely think he deserves um credit and his in the top five then number four, I have to say it's. I want to say it's been uh, Roman Reigns. I'm going to say Roman Reigns is number is number four. He has missed out most of twenty. He missed out most of 2020. In all fairness, but he's he's done an amazing job reinventing himself. He's just it has been incredible the things he's done with this this new character. His feud with with uh, Jay Uso was phenomenal. He did 
he's he's improved his in ring. Uh, he's like he's not really. He's always been this kind of in ring style, but he's really improved it more now to working these kind of better matches. His work with Paul Heyman, the way he carries himself, his even his mic skills have improved because he knows that letting Paul talk and letting himself have these smaller moments, like kind of Brock Lesnar. You know, he's not really great on the mic, but like when he speaks, you listen to him. And it's been good. The kind of in-ring work he's done, he's hammed it up, of course, with the acting department, but that's all professional wrestling. So, I, I yeah, I'd say he easily earns um, one of the top spots of the year, all in all. Um, then my, for my next pick, I had uh, Tetsu Naito. Yeah, okay, odd choice, admittedly, but God dang, his, um, his, his stuff has been... His stuff's been pretty good. I I think he's done a really good job with the year building up his feud with uh, Ibushi and Jay White in the last few weeks. I took a second to really appreciate it because the evil feud wasn't great all in all, but really considering the fact that he's the first intercontinental and first IWGP champion, first dual champion, I just think deserves really massive props all in all. I, I was considering putting uh takahashi and uh bushi on this list but i just i I really think that that uh that naito gets this spot a bit bit better i I really think he deserves he deserves the recognition for this year that for what he's done and this clear history making moment he has and for the build up to wrestle kingdom so yeah uh touching naito number three then i had for number two, I had Randy Orton. Randy Orton, breakout year again. This has been a year of really letting reinvention these people that have, of course, not um, flourished before kind of when it came to the crowd work. For whatever reason, Orton has just, he lets, I don't know if it's just the silence of the arena that kind of really let these kind of moments sink in with him, the more kind of slithery, slimy, menacing tone of his promos, but just the silence of it all really just helped resonate the kind of stuff he's done and it really has helped with kind of create this more sadistic and calm character this real psychopath and i really have to give him credit for that for being able to become one of the more entertaining parts of raw every night his feuds with drew mcintyre his feud with bray again for all things i really like the feud edge of course aj he had a few matches with aj but i'm mistaken or and putting over keith lee a few times with his with his selling was great to work as well but yeah he's just i think he's done a great job it's i don't even really know if it's reinvention it's just redefining his character it's no longer this boring kind of slow randy orton but it's this it's the cool kind of conniving randy orton that we've known to love the kind who's it's like yeah his his in-ring work is still kind of slow methodical but it's like it's that awesome parts of him like that you just see like the little ticks he does like when his match when his match with in his match with edge he just had this moment where he's got edge on the table and he just kind of brushes his hair to the side and just looks at him he's just like you know i'm gonna he just says look i'm just going to kill you right now and it's it's like oh my god that was actually really cool the way and, and he cursed too because you know cursing in wwe is oh so forbidden then and at the end, when he when crouches down again after he just punted uh, Edge's lights out, he was he just whis- was whispering how he should just go home, sit with his wife, and be with his kids, and just stay out of business forever because he'd hurt him again. It's oh, it's just so cool. Randy Orton, I think, has just redefined why he is a future Hall of Famer. He gets a lot of flack because you know his methodical pace as. Uh, Michael Cole will say, which isn't unfounded. He definitely deserves it every now and then, but it's, it, it, it's, I think it's, it's worked in the COVID era, especially. I, I feel like he's done a lot more. He's had some of the, the best matches with Drew, who has, who he's just foiled him. He's been a good foil to him. I think his, his feud with Abrey had a good solid ground and foundation on. So, yeah. Now, uh, some honorable mentions. I wanted to say, John Moxley was an honorable mention, um, mainly because I just Moxley has always. I'm trying to figure out how to word this without making it sound like a too much of a diss because he has been great. He has been very, very good. His feud with Eddie Kingston was very solid, but I can never help but feel in these pro like 
in these feuds, Moxley was always pushed to the side. He was never the main focus. He was never really the like it was he was always letting the heel do the talking, which I guess for the character worked. The idea that Moxley was this more hidden badass who could I'm just cursing. I shouldn't be cursing as much. Sorry about that. But he like who has this kind of cool and calmness and does most of his fighting in the ring. But even then, you we also like Moxley because he has that kind of gruff attitude and just not being able to see a lot of it. I just think just hurt his character all in all. And also his Kenny Omega, his loss to Kenny Omega, I feel like kind of came out of nowhere when Omega just kind of had this sudden resurgence. And for me, it was just, it was really kind of snap of the moment. And after everything where he's like, you know, I want to slow down my wrestling. It kind of came out that it, it felt predictable that it would happen at the same time. It also felt like it was spur of the moment because of everything's happening. Impact. It's confusing. I know, but that's how I felt like on the one hand, I was like, yeah, I can kind of see that coming. And then when it actually came around, I'm like, well, that just feels like you guys are doing this because of impact and Don Callis. Now speaking of Kenny Omega, also honorable mention great year. Still, he's been getting back some of that swagger that the and getting you know actual character that he's needed. He's been missing for a very very long time. He's just um, Omega hasn't had the star push that he deserved, and in uh, the weekly AEW segments in Japan, obviously he was a mega star because in a style like New Japan, which favors in ring storytelling and match work over legit like soap soapy uh, promo segments and. Uh, like in ring talking, that's and kind of like those kind of promo battles. Uh, he just he just didn't adapt to it. He just there was I don't know what it was, but he just didn't. He I don't know if it was just he didn't click or if it's like he was still trying to figure everything out. But it just wasn't the same as the the Kenny Omega we saw in New Japan, who's having the five star classics with Kazuchika Okada. But I still have to give him props. This new character of Don Callis has been very very interesting. It's Admittedly, I feel like it's kind of similar to Roman Reigns. I don't know if anyone else has really picked up on this, but I can't help but feel as though there's a similarity between having guys that have kind of never really clicked before, then suddenly getting this new attitude and swagger about them to then work with a manager. It's been something that has, that's happened, of course, a lot wrestling, but just for two shows like that to be so close, I don't know. I, I see a little bit too much of Roman Reigns in that. Uh, Seth Rollins, another, another honorable mention on my list. He, the Monday Night Messiah was weird at first but then it just got cool i mean the long-term feud with ray mysterio for whatever reason i know fans like to see long-term booking yet they don't at the same time when there's a lot of matches i thought overall the feud worked and i think the long long-term storytelling of it was effective and i think when he jumped to smackdown yeah there was some stuff with buddy murphy obviously and and uh, the daughter that was a little ugh. but the character the, this kind of prophet character of of Seth Rollins, you know, he feeding literally eat like feeding into his own ego and kind of growing into this, you know, I am the savior. I am the one who is the who controls Monday night. I am like all the all the kind of braggadocious behavior he'd have on Twitter to kind of really feeding into the character finally becoming this. He believes he is literally a prophet, a messiah for the wrestling fans. It was really cool. And I think a good bit of self-awareness on uh the, Seth and WWE's part. Still, though, um, that a lot of that work also kind of happened in 2019, so I can't count it too much for this year. But I still have to give respect to the Ray, Ray, um, the Ray Mysterio and Seth Rollins feud. I still have to give a lot of credit to that. Cody Rhodes, another honorable mention, just because, yeah, Cody, he's just he's been good. The TNT, the work with the TNT belt has been really, really good. All in all, I mean. Of course, there's always I've always had the criticism that he's done a lot of. Um, he's been uh, playing with like he's he's been booking himself really strong and as this kind of underdog babyface too much, while also being a swaggering kind of heelish character when he needs to be. It's inconsistent. I'll get onto my whole thing about heel heels and faces a little bit later. I'll talk about it in a bit, but yeah it's it's been good he's still been good and i really saw it all in all and i think the loss to Brody lee i wish he would have let the guy keep the belt a little bit longer all in all unless there were reasons behind it with the of course the the, the lung issue if that was the reason for it or if it was literally just a placeholder dog car match was still good and giving to dropping it to darby allen was a nice show there to see let him take it 
Darby Allen, I, I put as an honorable mention. I l- really love Darby Allen. He is just so different, so cool. Uh, just a quick run through. I know I'm going through a lot, but Adam Cole then and AJ Styles, Keith Lee, and Bray Wyatt are also all on my my um my honorable mentions list in Ibushi. They've they've all just they've all done a lot of good stuff this year. Just they've all had their individual flaws. Bray being he hasn't been booked as as strong as he could have been, having lost a few more times than the, the character should have been. Abushi losing to Jay White, and then just kind of falling to the wayside a bit. Uh, I mentioned I know I mentioned Hiromu Takahashi a bit earlier, but yeah, he could have been somewhere maybe top top ten, but I don't know if. He, uh, when the winning the super J the the super juniors obviously would have been a get to put him in the talks obviously for best of the year and he's had that match with Desperado was epic but again I, I always have trouble with kind of the lack of exposure they kind of get and yeah I just I just kind of bring myself to put him on the list all in all Adam Cole a consistent force on NXT along with Johnny Gargano Tommaso Ciampa. Timothy Thatcher, Dexter Loomis, all great choices from NXT. They could have been on any list and all have done great jobs with their characters, with their matches, Kyle O'Reilly, Finn Balor. There's a ton from NXT I could have put, but it's just been, it's, it's, it's just, it's been a tough year. A lot for all things considered and all the terrible stuff that's happened. It has just been an intense, intense year for, wrestlers and a lot of people have reinvented themselves or really kind of brought out what their shine and really letting themselves be known as the talents that they are and that's why for my number one pick i went with drew mcintyre i think it's a no-brainer choice i think he will at least be top three for anyone number one drew mcintyre he's just he's been the face of the (laughs) as silly as it sounds he has been the face of the covid era he has been the face of Everything that's been with this year, he is the he is the one that has run the ship for WWE consistently. He has always had some of the best matches. His his um, character work has been some of the best the WWE has seen. He is a genuinely loved babyface. He he's a once in a lifetime talent. His story getting to Brock Lesnar was amazing. His win at WrestleMania, while short, was still felt good for this awful awful COVID time. His feud with Randy Orton, despite the title loss, I still like to pretend didn't happen. Really good feud all in all. His feud with AJ has been good. His stuff with Ziggler was even pretty entertaining. But yeah, all credit to him for keeping WWE ship afloat, keeping the main event title scene alive, and hopefully he'll get his moment. Hopefully they'll keep the title on him to keep him strong in front of a, a real live audience because the guy deserves it. He's just done so much for this company all in all. So yes, that would be my top five favorite wrestlers of this of the 2020 COVID era wrestling. Um, I would do my least favorite wrestlers of 2020, or not really my least favorite, but kind of more wrestlers who I think had the worst 2020, or just there'll be a mix. I think a little bit. I'll see how I refine it a bit more. Uh, I didn't want to uh, just a small segment too. I didn't want to be again. I want to try to avoid the negativity, but I still really kind of want to talk about this after reading some reactions to the Bray Wyatt. Randy Orton feud with some fans complaining, you know, who was the heel in the match? Who was the like the bad guy? The dynamic of the, the heel and face, obviously, is there's always a good guy and there's a bad guy. There's and then there's tweeners in between, the guys who have both characteristics of a heel and a and a a face. Now, when it comes to the world of pro wrestling, as we've gone on, there's especially in the new modern era, as people like to put it, it's very. It, it, there, there's a more um, need to have characters and there's more of a need for audiences to pick who they like and who they enjoy personally. There's not as much we listen to who the, the promotions say to like as much anymore. There's You have to genuinely work. Like we Back in the day when people were more marks to wrestling, if Hulk Hogan waved the American flag around, then everyone was like, oh, good guy. Let's cheer for him. Yay. There wasn't any like talk about what he was like backstage and less booing about the person more booing about the characters of course now with everything happening with social media we know more about the people we know more about their careers and what we believe they are owed so it's harder for companies really to create these characters and 
like work around what the reaction is because of course for certain stories they want to create a character but sometimes the fans will reject how the characters be portrayed my point being though the broad strokes purposes heels and faces do exist they do still exist and there has been more of a growing um, desire for tweener characters, which I like to believe really came from the New Japan world of wrestling, where everything was more MMA and more uh, real life fighting. So it was there was less of, there was there were less characters, there were less defined characteristics compared to like the WWE and WCWs, which had the more soapy. So I like to think the tweener idea has come a lot from the Japanese style where it was more about the blood and guts of a competitor. So they had more of a character in that sense and kind of genuine on the characters were built around the audience versus perceptions and their move sets. There was, there was less, there was less of needing to hate them and more of a need to respect them and people who were hated just were ended up hated for other reasons. So I'd like to think it kind of grew from that. We got guys like Yuji Nakata who have been just career tweeners that just, you know, he, he's there to fight. He's there to do this. He'll do what it takes to win, whether you like him or not. He's fan favorite, obviously Yuji Nagata, but it's, it, it's just, it's one of those things that just, we don't see as we, I think grew from that kind of style, that style, the real life wrestling. So there were less guys who just wanted to fight and do whatever it took. So they weren't necessarily bad guys. They weren't necessarily good guys. And the fans reacted however, but there's feels like there's just this weird thing with the fan base currently. That's like, do we want real more faces and heels or do we want like tweeners? Cause I've seen people, you know, praise Cody Rhodes for like, oh, you know, he's not just a face or a heel. He's a character. He's got motives. That's why he cheats to win. And that's why he can also be a sympathetic baby face. And at the same time, again, that Randy Orton fiend thing, it's like, oh, who's the face here? Like, who are we supposed to root for? We need to know who to root for. It's like, but you just said you like the idea that they're characters and not, you know, you're not just being told who to root for. So I just, I'm confused. it's maybe it's them criticizing WWE because WWE still clearly likes more of this heel face dynamic that they still like to push that. But heel versus heel matches exist too. We still, we've always gotten heel versus heel matches. And I think it's absurd that they're like, you know, we can't like the fiend because he is clearly the spooky one yet. Everyone was cheering the fiend at the same time. Of course, this guy could, one of these writers obviously were from the, uh, could have just been more negative towards WWE, and I can, uh, their opinions just um, bullworth. That's a good word I can say on the doobie. But yeah, all in all, it's just it's I I don't get. It. I think it's I, I think it's absurd. I think it's sometimes we have to let the story that's being told to us be told to us, and we can express our displeasure, but we can't like argue that there's something like inherently. Uh, trying to figure out the good word, the wording to use to describe that's not like I'm not just a mark, but like, yeah, yeah, we know that the fiend is technically like a supernatural being, but at the same time, you know, Randy obviously burned down the house. So it's a character thing. It's more based along the lines of the character. They're not, they're both bad guys, but they also, they have reasons to do it. And then one guy doesn't necessarily need to be more simple, need to be a good guy in the face. He can just be the same character. Because if not, then people probably complain that they radically changed the fiend into, you know, too smiley and happy. Oh, he's just a shucks old good guy. And even then, I thought he was more face. All in all, I think he was. I thought he was more of the face. They just kept the kind of things that people liked about him. It's like, you know, you you can make someone a good guy. Like with Jake Roberts, Jake Roberts still kept that kind of calm, methodical tone about him, but also he was more positive, and he was more positive with his his view on the audience and he was more on, on who he attacked, which I think they're doing with the fiend. The fiend still kind of got that creepy, scary aura of the monster cold, coldish kind of leader, but he's also, you know, attacking more heels and everything. So I, I think there is a need for characters. Like there, there's obviously the need for the more in between characters, but I think the idea that face and heel work is, is necessary is just absurd. I think there's, n- there's not always a need for it. And I think if you're going to act as though, and especially the double the double standard that you're going to say that this one company is doing it better just because versus this other one, because honestly, Cody would if if we're still saying that heel and face dynamics are the only things that can be used in wrestling, Cody is one of the worst because he 
he'll play whenever he'll play dirty whenever he wants, and yet he'll also be the sympathetic underdog. And then, if anything, it's more jarring with him because you know he'll cheat at certain times and then other times. In the same match, he'll be like bleeding and you know trying to get the sympathy from the audience. And it's unless you're you know you're turning the character from heel to face, like it's a good double turn, like an Austin Bret Hart thing. It just comes off as jarring. But yeah, it's just we live in a world now of mixes. We don't we live with shades a lot more shades of gray characters. Of course, we still always have the guys who are purely bad and guys who are purely good. But like the hurt business aren't necessarily bad or good guys. They're just guys who you know do what's best for business. They they've been fighting the retribution fighting retribution who are so clearly bad guys that they've also fought the new day who are clearly good guys. There are just some good can come from both of them. But to say a a segment's doing bad because there's no definable good or bad guy is I think just is absurd. I just think that's, it's utterly absurd because you're then taking away the aspect that there should be more characters. Then you're going to complain when characters are just, you know, characters of good and bad. You're just going to do the same thing now. You're then just going to complain that there's, you know, Oh, they've been watered down but when you've just been saying, you know, we, we don't want these kind of more complex things. And it's not that that wasn't what he was saying. It was clear what he was saying. He's like, oh, who's the bad guy here? Is it the guy who's the coldly scoopy guy? Or is it the guy who's literally burned down houses and has been kicking people in the heads? I don't know. You need to tell me. But then also you don't want them to lead your hands. So it's, it's I, 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 that's just my point. I think that there is just, there's a need for characters. And I think some people always be more on the bad side. There'll be some people on the good side. There's going to be some guys in between. And we have to accept that. We need to accept that the story being told. And we need to look at what the story is. If the story is bad, that's fine. It, the stories can be plenty bad. We don't need to accept everything that's just going into our head, like some kind of recycling bin. But we just, I don't think it's fair to like just literally, to, to, to just, like I ask for this one thing and then get it and then be like, what is this? This is bad. This, this part's the bad part, not the actual storyline. So yeah, that's just, it's, I'm sorry. That was a bit rambly again. It always kind of happens. I have a script always. And then I get off track regardless. That's just my take on the kind of whole peel face thing. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on, but all in all, uh, Still, just one one more time, respects to Brody Lee and to his family. My, uh, this is a sad day for wrestling that we lost a great talent. It's a shame, and everyone has been paying their respects to him, as they should. This man was a legend in his own right on the independence and would have been a future Hall of Famer in AEW or WWE. He should have been, and yeah, that's... That's my thoughts again. Rest in peace, Brody Lee. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of The Undercard, and I hope to see you all again next week.